Do you like to learn about random wild stuff? You know, the things you didn't think you needed to know about, then realize you should? Then welcome to Nothing Off Limits, the podcast that gives you one place to go for something different. Impress your next party guest with your unusual body of knowledge. And if you dig the show, get more information at ladyfoxentertainment.com and subscribe, rate, or review. Thanks. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Nothing Off Limits. Today, we're going to be talking all about creating multimedia art with my amazing guest, Cheshire Cat. Cheshire Cat is a photographer, filmmaker, writer, director, and storyteller based in New York. She began her career as a rock and roll photographer and journalist, shooting hundreds of performances up and down the West Coast, including Led Zeppelin, Elton John, The Eagles, George Harrison, and The Bee Gees, just to name a few. She's published two coffee table books, Star Art and Everybody I Shot is Dead. Star Art was published December 1979 and is now an out-of-print collector's item. By the way, Cheshire does have a few copies of the trade edition left, as well as the leather-bound limited edition signed by the artists. She's directed two short films, End of the Innocence and Chucky's Too Big a Deal. She's currently working on her third film called My First Kiss, inspired by her wild and wonderful rock and roll experiences. Today, we're going to talk about all of this, as well as her latest multimedia project called Under New York City, which explores, documents, and sheds light on New York's amazing underbelly, the subway system, sewers, catacombs, and the people who pass through, work, or live in these places. For more information, you can go to her two websites, CheshireCat.com or UnderNYC.org. Welcome, Cheshire. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I'm really excited to have you. And the wonderful Michael Roderick connected us, the connector man. He is an amazing connector. I've known him, I don't know how many years now since I've been in LA. I think I probably met him in 2013 when I first moved here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Someone turned me on to him and uh, he's, he's he's a gem of a person and super smart and meeting him made me realize that that's what I've always been, which is a little Mm -hmm. harder to do on the West coast than it is to do on the East coast. There's a lot of connectors here and people always want to put people together, Mm. uh, which I really like. That's something that's innate with me as well. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It sounds like I should go over to New York then. (laughs) Yeah, I think you should. (laughs) (laughs) Well, very cool. Like as soon as he sent me your website, I was like, this woman's work is incredible. So I would love for you to share with me and with the audience your journey. I mean, how did you get started? How did things take off for you? Were you always just automatically drawn to the arts? I was interested in art when I was, I guess, in high school, but I was also into athletics. So I was a skier, racing skier in Canada, and also horseback riding, jumpers, teaching or, you know, just training horses and going wow. to horse shows and things like that. Yeah, that, that, I'm, I'm a jock <laughs> for sure. Wow. And That's like the yeah, opposite so... of what I expected you to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I come from a very, uh, I don't know, my, my dad was an oil man in Canada. And he, when I was born, he was the president of the Calgary Stampeders professional football team. And so I grew up on all that kind of stuff and we, you know, 
go to the lake in the summer and water ski and you know we were and I was the youngest so we were all pretty competitive with each other like mm-hmm. let me try to do this better than you kind of thing <laughs> so it, I had a lot of things thrown at me with that he had race horses and things and so very cool uh, one time yeah he gave me a he gave me a, I talked to him into giving me a horse that I wanted off the off the track who wasn't a good runner and he finally said yes you can have this horse so I got her she was maybe three years old and I trained her to do to do jumping and and hack riding like on the flats and her first show she won championship show hack uh, which was really amazing and she was so beautiful and um, it turns out she was uh, her name was Pixie Wings but (laughs) she was a descend she was a descendant of Seabiscuit he was her oh, grandfather, wow. great grandfather, or something like that. Yeah, because you know, with thoroughbreds, they're all registered. So I got the paperwork, and I'm like, "Wow, sea biscuit!" Oh my god, that was before the movie and before everybody, you know. But yeah, it was pretty cool. Very cool. <laughs> so I, I, yeah, I got to do a lot of lucky things. So I guess Heck from yeah. uh, all of that, uh, my brother was a songwriter and, and guitar player. He still is, uh, not professionally, but really enjoyed it and. Uh, I followed him to Toronto at, uh, when I got out of high school and then I, he was playing in places and one of the classes I took out there had to do, well, it was interior design, but they gave me a f- photography assignment. So I borrowed a camera from some dude in the, in the school and I went and did these slides of textures outside and things like that. And just picking up that box of slides from the lab was like Christmas. You open a box and it's like, wow, look at this. When that was such a great thing when it was filmed, <laughs> you, you mm. didn't look at it on your camera. It was just you, you didn't know what you were going to get, right? And like and I just loved that. So I I talked my dad into giving me. My dad did some nice things for me. Apparently, um, he, <laughs> so I, I talked yeah, him into dad. giving me a camera for Christmas, uh, the same one that I had used that I borrowed from somebody, and and then I started going to the place where my brother did. Um, open mic nights and I would just shoot people there and started to get to know the musicians and I started shooting them and I liked the music and since I couldn't sing or anything I thought well this is fun so that's kind of where it started that's so wild so from from horse jumper female jock to rock and roll photographer yeah it's kind of the same thing though I, I, I look at I look at photography as an athletic event, actually. Really, especially shooting musicians. Yeah. It oh is. yeah. It, well, live it, they they work the same way. You know, it's it, it is an athletic event. You have to, if you do it the way I do it. Some people I don't think do that, but uh, for me, shooting musicians, I was focused on them at the whole time. And back then, when I shot concerts, we would use one roll of black and white and one roll of color because that's all you could afford to do. And, you know, every frame counted. Mm-hmm. So you had to sit, I would just wait. My whole thing was wanting to catch the moment when they, when they let their guard down. Mm-hmm. So they're not performing as much as they are letting their soul come out. So that's what I tried to find. And I would be in one position possibly for two and a half songs or something. You never know. You know, mm-hmm. it was, you know, you can imagine how, if you're only taking a total possibly Lots of times it was just one roll of, of black and white or something, but when you when you're doing that, it's say a, an hour and a half concert. That's not you know it's not like you're shooting every second, like people do today with the um, right with the digital. But I like that, and I still shoot that way because it's the only way you can really make a photograph. 
your mm-hmm. own. And I, I had a fascination between what was going on in stage and what was behind me, which was the audience. And, and then I'd also go all around the whole place and shoot from different angles and different places. But there was a certain energy that happens to you when you're in the, in the pit at the front between you're between the band and, and the audience. And it was energy coming from the stage through me and then coming from behind me through me. So I was getting this kind of, Mm. you know, stream of energy going both ways, one from the other. And and I was right in between both of them. So it's, it was, I like doing that. That's so cool. You're the first photographer to ever explain it that way. You know, they just kind of say, wow, it's just like a rush. But, but the way you just explained it is really, really cool with the two streams of energy. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Now, how did you graduate from shooting just, you know, open mics to doing these huge artists and, and getting this amazing collector's item table book together? Uh, I was lucky enough to, I, I left Toronto. I didn't stay there very long. I left a, left Toronto and I stopped in, in my hometown of Calgary. And these two guys, they were twins, both, I think they were maybe 18. We were all really young. I'm, I think I was 18, maybe they were 17 or something. And they decided to start a sound company. I, I don't know how I met them. I can't remember that, but I know the two of them, they just said, we want to do this, but we don't, we have to work on our construction jobs. And so it was such a great, it was such a great opportunity. It's like, you know, well, we'll both meet you at your place. You can take my alpha and drop me at the construction site and then drive it to the office that we, that we rented. Right. And mm-hmm. I thought, well, this is a good job. <laughs> Try them all, Alfa Romeo around. And it became this whole thing of, you know, so I had to talk to this guy who made all this equipment out in Vancouver and I would talk to him on the phone. I had no idea of anything to do with sound whatsoever other than that's a, mon- you know, that's the, a speaker and this is a monitor. And this is, you know. Right. So I had no idea how you would put something like, to get, like that together and they were hardly ever there, the guys, and I don't know what they knew either. So I think we, we did it for about six months before it went under because they ran out of money uh for that and i just decided well i think i'll just head to vancouver so i went to vancouver and the first person i called was that same guy and he said hey we're doing the show we want you to come down and i said it's okay if i bring my camera i I shot that show and then I, i went to a couple of others and at one point the guy said hey you really should go and meet gary switlow and he was the owner of with him and Tom Worrell, his partner, were the the ticket office for the whole West Coast. Oh wow! And I think actually maybe all of they ended up they were called concert box offices, and they they were ended up being um, bought out by uh, Ticketmaster. Mm-hmm. So they were there before, way before Ticketmaster, mm-hmm. and he, they did all the concerts. So I met met Gary, and he was super nice. And and when I went to meet him, it happened that the guy from uh, Warner Brothers was there, the rep from Warner Brothers in Vancouver, and and he's and he's you know so Gary said good things about me, and I'd shown some pictures, and they and he hired, started hiring me. Then I got RCA with John Ford. Then I got Frank Giliotto with uh, CBS and Monica Natuski, who did all the independent. You know, it's like just a domino like effect. That way. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So then I was you know I was the person. That was it basically, and it, it was. It was a lot of fun. 
That's so amazing. <laughs> I love hearing people how things happen because it's like it's weird. It's like synchronicity. The universe just like puts you in the right place oh, at the absolutely. right time. I believe in that completely. Every, yeah. Everything. It's not that they, it falls in your lap, though. It, no. It's the kind of thing where uh, what's that saying where it's like, you know, it's a 90% preparation and mm. 10% lucky yeah. or something. Mm-hmm. But if you're not prepared to do something, you will fail. Totally. So yeah. You can't just expect have having a dream. Oh, I think I want to be this. You've really got to put the work in. You For sure. You know. Yeah. It's like putting that action energy into it. And then the universe will assist you as you do that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, but and, you I, went- and I learned as I went. I mean, I, I didn't different kinds of light and how do you do this? And I read books and I didn't go to any classes except for one. When I was in Calgary, I did a night class on developing color film. Mm-hmm. And man, did I fail at that man miserably. That had so <laughs> much, like it was so hard to do. I self-taught myself to, to do black and white uh, developing and printing myself. That's so cool. So that I could do. You know, I have this thing about like artists. I feel like the ones who are self-taught have a more rawness about their work and it's, it's better. Like, I feel like people who are too overly trained, they don't take enough risks because they, they think that they need to stay within these parameters of what they're creating. Would you agree with that? I don't know because I've not been that, uh, I haven't been that trained. You know, I've been mostly self-taught. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, I'm the, thinking the, about it from like the perspective of musicians who I've met over the years and it's like the ones who are just like so highly trained they're afraid mm. to change the normal right. chord, chord patterns or whatever like they're like oh that's weird I don't know and I feel like people who are just self-taught like you know I mean Prince is a great example of somebody who's just naturally talented and taught themselves and look at all the amazing stuff he created because he just was unafraid yeah. Right. No. Yeah. And I, I think I think there are people that have combined that you know, that want to break out of what they learned and and send it to a new level. Yeah. Um. I I don't know. I I, I learn things by looking at books and or you know I sort of teach myself. So mm-hmm. I don't really you know I use Photoshop, but I probably don't use it right. I do. <laughs> I did take one editing class on Final Cut, and. I still I can't remember what I did, and when I do it, every time I do it, it's just kind of hit and miss. I just kind of work on it, however I can. But I dig that. I really it, dig that because I, yeah. So I, I have done yeah. I have done like the the Chucky short film that I I edited myself, and that and it's all stills as well, which I was trying to make stills into into film which which i think i accomplished that pretty well with it but so i just did that on my own and that recently did a music video which we just got into the coney island film festival Hmm, congrats uh that one i i edited as well uh, and that's a more standard type of music video so i shot it and directed it and and edited it the whole thing who's the artist it looks like somebody made a film uh her name is adriana mateo Hmm. and and the and the uh the video is called Coney Island. How perfect. Apropos. I actually said to her, look, you really need to enter that in the Coney Island <laughs> Film Festival. And, and sure enough, we got in. So that's cool. I'm, I'm pretty excited about so that. I, yeah. I'm curious. I'm curious. You weren't always called Cheshire Cat. And I would love for you to share the story behind your name. I was called that a lot in school because my last name is Cheshire. Mm-hmm. So I have three books that I've done and each has a different name on it. That's got to be tough for, like, you can't just have one author name. Cheshire's always there. Okay. My first name, it was my first name when I was growing up, 
was one version of my first name, and that was on the start book. And then Cheshire is my last name. The next one, I went to the more formal way of my uh, first name, and that's with my with my last name as Cheshire. And then the one I just did uh, last fall was from what I shot in Paris last summer, and that one is goes by Cheshire Cat. It just kind of it just people were calling me that anyway, and I just thought, you know, I like it better. I don't. I want it, you know, it's more memorable in a way, even though people recognize it all the time. They call me Chester or <laughs> I get called Ch- Chesh a lot, which I'm not, it's not my thing, but I yeah. complain about that. <laughs> you can't make people call you what you want them to be. Yeah, anyway, that's so. your little nickname, I guess. The, I'm, yeah. yeah, I'm just glad, I'm just glad people are, are calling me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's such a cool name. And as soon as, you know, like I said, when Michael sent over your link and said, would you like to be connected? I was like, oh, heck yeah, how cool. <laughs> Who is this of, woman? my name, you see? Yeah. See, it's, a mar- it's a marketing thing. Exactly. Yes, I, have, I have owned, I've owned that name since I was born. So uh, did you know that Christopher Walken, what his first name really is? No. It's Ronald. <laughs> <laughs> I would change that too. <laughs> he doesn't look like a Ronald at all. No, no. He's one of my favorite actors. <laughs> yeah. No, he's incredible. Now, you mentioned your freelance work became your film school. So how did you get into then um, creating your own films? Was it a decision that you made or was it something you just sort of stumbled into? And you're like, oh, I guess I'll try this now. I'll take my stills and I'll turn them into a story. What was that? How did that come about? I left Vancouver and I moved to LA and I didn't care for shooting concerts there so much because there was too many people there and they were trying to, you know, they'd move me out of the way. All these other guys, they'd be like, you can't sit there in the same, you can't be in the same spot all the time. And I'm like holding my camera waiting for the shot and they're just using the motor drives, shooting whatever they they saw. Mm. And so it wasn't my way of shooting. So it really kind of annoyed me. Um, It, and my, I was doing some stuff. I was, I'd shot some bands at, at the record plant in the studio there. I shot Gene Pitney in a, in another one for Columbia in LA uh, while he was recording. And I liked that a lot because then you're part of that whole creation of music yeah. in there, which I, re- I really enjoyed that. Uh, and then I was invited to shoot a double album cover for Dave Mason. And I thought, cool. And at Columbia, and I'd done a bunch of work for them, and I thought they were hiring me to do it, basically. But it turned out they were letting a bunch of people come. And so I, the first act was Little Feet, who I absolutely adored. They're, they're the, one of the best live bands ever, I think. Hmm. And so I, I was there, and I was shooting them. Nobody else was there shooting them. I was just shooting them. I didn't, I, there might have been somebody, but I didn't notice them. And then between the acts, I was backstage and then Dave Mason comes out and I go back out and I think I shot maybe a half roll. Of, I hadn't even got to the color. It was a half roll of black and white. And I just, I just said, forget it. I don't want to do this. And at that time I had already had the idea to do the star book, which was something that I really wanted to do. And so I got backstage again. I was standing there and thinking about the book and what I was going to do, and somebody just comes flying out of the out of the uh, dressing room, the little feet dressing room, and said, "Oh, great! You're here. You're you have a camera. Get in here." So I spent the rest of the night 
shooting what was going on in, in their dressing room because they were signing their big deal with Mo Austin from Warner Brothers Records. Mm. And John Sebastian was there and a bunch of other, and the lawyer was there. So I had pictures, I took pictures of them signing their contract oh, and just a moment. bunch of stuff around that whole thing. Yeah, it was, it was really cool. And that I really liked. And then little George ended up choosing one of my color photographs for the inside of Waiting for Columbus, which was really an honor because his wife was a photographer and always did his photography and he picked mine. So oh, was, she must have been pissed. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I'm sure she not wasn't okay. No. So anyway, but that, that was the, I stopped doing concerts pretty much then and, and just threw myself into the Star Art book, which was a three and a half uh, year trek of getting wow. that done. I don't, yeah. even, I don't even know how I managed to do that. I don't know how I got that done. I look at it now and go, what was I thinking that I could do that? <laughs> you did it. You did it. Yeah, I had, I had no, but I had no experience of ever, you know, I had not done a book. I didn't know, you know, I just had an idea and I somehow sold it to these people. I had no money. I had nothing to offer them. I was just, this is my idea. Do you want to be a part of it? And I got one, one person and I, I got Commander Cody and he, I met up with him. I'd shot him when, uh, in Vancouver a few times and I'd seen him around. And so I got in touch with him through his manager and I went up to where he lived in Stinson, California and just told him what I wanted to do and went with my camera. And so I took a bunch of pictures of all his artwork there and a couple of pictures of him out in the, on the beach and I put together a mock-up of it, and he goes, yeah, I like it. Let's do it. And then I just started adding them on. You know, there, there was, I, knew, I knew I wanted to make them, you know, each have a lot of pages because it was about my, my criteria for having them in the book was if you weren't a musician, you would be making your living at art. And I had always thought of how you can be talented in more than one medium, and I didn't like the way people want to, you know, put you into a corner and say, this is what you do, you know, and who wants to do the same thing over and over again? I never thought that was a good idea. So yeah, I love that. Yeah. So I got, I got that. I got the first one and then I got from there, I got Klaus Borman and, um, and then I, and I got John Mayall. It was in a time, obviously, I, I guess it's the same wherever you are, because I'm still doing it, everything the same way for some reason. I haven't figured it out yet, but I'm always going in with absolutely having nothing and figuring out a way, can I, how can I do this? And um, yeah, they were, it, it took me a long time to do it because getting people is hard. The, the bigger names, such as uh, Joni Mitchell and the other one was Cat Stevens, and, and I, I don't remember how I got him, but somehow I got to his manager, and his manager put me with him. You know, got, I got a meeting with known as Steve um, Steven. He said yes, which was really great. And but I, it took me a year to get Joni Mitchell. I, I literally called the manager every other week. It was the scariest thing I ever did. Every other week, I would pick up the phone, shaking, going, "How am I going to talk to these people again?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it, but it's hard, you know. It's it's scary because you don't want to get the no answer at one time, and at the same time, you don't want to be making a fool of yourself. I was very bold, I guess. I don't. I, I think it was because whenever I would say out loud that I'm doing something. Or if I start something, I have to figure out a way to finish it. You know, you just can't, because I, I, it's all, yeah. you know, it, you lose faith if, I like if you don't. Once you say it out loud, just do it. Yeah, well, you have to, because if you tell one person, then, and, it, and you don't do it, it becomes a failure. 
Mm. which I know you learn things from failure, but I'm not really a fan of failure. (laughs) Who is? (laughs) Now, what was your most memorable rock and roll meeting? Was it the Joni Mitchell? Oh my God, there's so many of them. She was amazing uh, and still is. I got her and she got me. We, I, it was instantaneous in that sense. I, after that year of calling and then getting that, when I called and they said, yeah, come on over Tuesday at 2 p.m. And I literally had five minutes with her basically with what it was. And, and it took maybe two minutes. <laughs> wow. Her to, I told her what I was doing and, and she, it was, it was just right time, I guess. And the fact that, you know, we had similar personalities in the mm-hmm. sense, we're both from the same neighborhood. She she was born 100 miles away from where I was born. Oh, wow. Yeah, so there's that upbringing of being Canadian. Yeah. That there, there is difference between U.S. and Canada. Mm-hmm. There's good and bad in both. So, yeah, so we had a we had a things about us, and, yeah. and I told her what I was doing, and she got it, you know, exactly immediately. She got what I was doing, and she said, you know, I haven't done anything with my artwork because I've always thought it would be, easier for me if I had, I was amongst, I like this idea because I want to be amongst other musicians who are artists uh. so that she didn't have to carry the weight, you know? Uh. So, and she was so intuitive to what was going on compared to the guys. You know, she knew, she understood what it meant to be an artist in different areas. And she used it that way for her creativity. I have her on tape saying about how, or on uh, on video at one of our gallery shows that we did, where she was talking about it, and she said it was like crop rotation. So if you know when some when your creativity dries up on the music, you can switch it to a drawing or <laughs> art and different kinds of things. So she understood that, and she was able to articulate that really well. Mm. And that's exactly what I was doing the book for. So I, I just felt honored to be with her and uh, she was great to work with and she showed up at every single gallery show we did four of them and and she showed up to every single one of them which was so great yeah yeah it it was a great experience as I left the meeting the first meeting that I had with her as I was walking out her her manager said oh yeah you need to call Jason because I just told him Joni's on so you're going to be going to see Ronnie Wood I don't know how how it went on on their in their office, but it was funny because they had been communicating, and literally within the next week, I was and I, I got Ronnie Wood after meeting Ringo, because Klaus did a lot of work for the Beatles and had a lot of artwork that that Klaus had done that I would need to get access to for the book, and he he sent me to Ringo's house up on Woodrow Wilson in L.A. <laughs> and <laughs> okay, I'll just go over to Ringo's house. Um, <laughs> it was weird. I mean, it's not. Did like, you? I wasn't. I mean. Did you have a moment where you were like, I, I am, I've made it. Did you have that thought where you're like, I'm going to Ringo's house right now? No, that didn't, that, that going to his house didn't mean anything as far as making it for me, but it was interesting. I'd already photographed him without him actually probably knowing it because it was a, it was at a record. Goodnight Vienna was dropping in um, LA and I happened to be in LA. It was my my reconnaissance trip to LA to see if I wanted to move there. And I ha- somehow knew somebody who or turned me on to somebody and said, said that I could come and shoot that. I mean, there was like hundreds of people shooting the press conference. So I did some, I shot those, but then they all left and they were actually doing this whole cool thing with Goodnight Vienna. They, they had a flying saucer out on Vine street and hmm. he gets into the saucer oh, and then the saucer goes up to the top of the Capitol 
Records oh, building, cool. the, you know that building. Yes. Yeah, and it's you can see it on online on, in, on YouTube. But I did a whole series of photographs of that, and nobody else was really out there doing that. And I haven't really released those in any way, shape, or form at this point. Mm-hmm. I'll do something with it someday. But um, then the next thing of it, what they were actually had a helicopter taking this huge spaceship that they made. And they they took it up by helicopter to the top and they landed it on there. And then you see him coming out. He wasn't in it when they were, obviously, when they were moving, lifting right, it up with the helicopter. Right. <laughs> Nowadays, they would probably shoot that with a drone. Like, what's your opinion about the drone photography? I like drone photography. I like the I like the angles that you can get. I mean, I'm, I'm often, I, I shoot in different directions all the time, so... I like shooting from things that are high up. I don't haven't used a drone, but I think it's a great way to, I mean, now that they have such huge, like the 4Ks and stuff like that mm-hmm. cameras, you can, mm-hmm. they go in a, in a theatrical movie, you know, it's, it's way yeah. better than doing the helicopter stuff. Uh, it's, it's less dangerous. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've known of helicopter crashes, bad stuff can happen. So it's a lot better as long as you don't get hit by a drone. <laughs> yeah, I don't exactly. know how that's going. And I think just the cost of it is different. So yeah. the film oh, that I am hopefully going to be making in the nearest future, like within the next few years, it, it, it's a road movie. So when I think I, when I wrote that, there wasn't drones. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you're thinking about how much is it going to cost? You're going to have to get a helicopter and do the B-roll of you know, the road trip from, from the sky kind of thing. And now it's it's so much easier. Oh know. heck yeah, yeah, heck yeah. It's great. So yeah, I, I like that. I like I like the drone. Well, I like this idea um, when you said that Joni Mitchell said crop rotation and how you have had this idea over the years about showing your creativity in more than one way, in more than one medium, and so that leads me to segue into your latest project. Tell us about Under New York City, because that came as a springboard off of your Paris project, right? In this situation, I had um, seen a thing on Facebook about this photography master retreat, mm-hmm. in, and it was in France, and it was due in within 24 hours, the application, and it didn't cost anything to enter it. So I thought, okay, I'm going to just enter this. I know I can't go to it because it costs money. But I, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to apply. And at the time, I was in L.A. and I was taking care of a couple of friends of mine that I'm power of attorney to. That uh, One was disabled and then her boyfriend had a stroke. So then he became disabled. So I've been helping them seven years or so, over seven years. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was doing that. And she had had a problem of, in a hospital thing of going to the wrong emergency room and they really messed her up and she ended up having to have a tracheotomy and a bunch of other stuff it was negligent in the emergency room they punctured her lung she could no longer eat by mouth anymore she was stuck with a feeding tube and all these things and i told her we're going to sue this hospital and then we're suing the recovery respiratory hospital because a guy molested her there a nurse what that wasn't good either yeah, yes, yeah, crazy. So I got her home and I said, listen, we're going to do these lawsuits and get a lot of money and, and we're going to go wherever you want to go in the world, where do you want to go? And she said, Paris. I somehow managed to throw in the application. I got into that and so I decided to, to do this kickstarting campaign so I could spend more time and go to actually go to Paris because she couldn't and I wanted to go for her in some way. Mm. And then 
And then I came up with this uh, reward of taking a photograph of someone could send me their photograph and I would take a picture of them wherever they wanted me to in Paris. And that was for her. And that's who I did that, that for. And um, excuse me, I'm going to get all flushed up. But so uh, I, and I knew that's where she wanted to go. So I told her about the project and what I was planning to do. And I said, are you, are you okay with that? Because I want to dedicate it to you. And she said, yes, absolutely. You have to do it. You know, she was that kind of person. And at that point she was planning on palliative care and was going to check out. So uh, during that period of time when we, when I was talking to her about it and I was letting her know everything that I was going to do and that I was taking her picture and she said, I said, where do you want me to take a picture of you there? And she says the Eiffel Tower. So yeah, so it was, um, it was a very important project. Yeah. Wow. There's so much attached to it. It's not just about yeah. creating something cool. It was really an emotional, emotional project. Right. And, and I wanted her, I wanted people to know about her because, you know, she missed out on all the things that she wanted to do. She was a screenwriter and she helped other screenwriters. And so she never had anything uh, made. I'm hoping to at some point later on in my career that I can take one of her screenplays and get it made into a film. Wow. Um, that's, that's a goal. But yeah, so what a nod to your amazing friend. And and you know, I and then I did I made a you know, you make the things for Kickstarter, your little your little pitchy thing. And then I made another one about her as well for people to know who she was. Mm-hmm. And so I, it was great. So I when I was there I did I took her up to the Eiffel Tower and uh took a picture of her up there which which turned out really well. And then on my last day there I I had a bit of her ashes with me. And um, and I sent them down the Seine River after putting the photograph oh, wow. in there as well. And I uh, got a really interesting picture from that. It's not up anywhere right now, but I should probably do that. It's on the back of the book that I made where you can see it, I, her ashes in the river. And right next to them on the right, there was nothing there. There was no rocks. It looks like rocks, though. And it's literally a woman sitting with her hands cupped in her lap and the face was exactly like her and exactly like the photograph I took in in the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It was really crazy. Again, that synchronicity kind of stuff. There's like messages. Yeah. 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 Now you shot in the catacombs in Paris and is that what then kind of spurred you on to thinking, wow, it would be cool to do that in New York as well? Yeah, that was basically, I mean, I'd always been interested in the subway system here and how it works and what it is to me as a petri dish of humanity where <laughs> everybody's underground and there's nowhere to go you know mm-hmm. and it's and people are equal there there's it's the equal, great equalizer you don't get a seat because you're a millionaire <laughs> you know right. nobody cares so there's this kind of whole thing going on in an energy there and there's it's a, it's a whole it's 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 like a world under there in its own and it's it it's so condensed that it's something you can actually study visually and however, you know, I'm going to do interviews with people down there and things like that. So it kind of, it came from the catacombs because I got down there, you know, you're not supposed to go down to those ones at all. So in New York uh, or in Paris, no, the ones, the ones in Paris, it was, it was an experience and it happened. It was happenstance. I had actually, my mantra for going there was to unleash my cameras on the underbelly of Paris and met people there and and that were artists and I was you know kind of interested in all those groups of people but then somebody just said hey you want to go down the catacombs and I'm like what the museum and they said no 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 the real catacombs 
And it, it's a, to- a total other thing there. There's hardly anyone down there, but there's a lot that has gone down there and it's, it's a really interesting place. It's so, freaky, like to think about it. It, it. Like it kind of freaks me out a little. <laughs> <laughs> I know people are going, you really went down there. I mean, it, it's, you're doing it illegally. Like they can charge you. I think I asked them if I get arrested, you know, is there a fine or do I go to jail? And they, <laughs> and they said, uh, no, it'd be like 60 euro if they, if they're down there, if, you know, so there's, you know, it's just one of those things that they say, you know, you can't do that. Right. But they're it's like not jaywalking. You know, but it's kind of, it's a little scary in the sense, well, just even going with people I didn't know. I met them in a park. So, and it was <laughs> yeah. at night. You're ballsy. And, yeah. And my dog, my dog was with me. So she didn't go with me there, but she was in the apartment. I called my son and said, hey, you know, I'm going to go down in the catacombs with two people I don't know. So if you don't hear from me tomorrow, you know, send somebody out. And he goes, I'm in Los Angeles. What am I going to be able to do? <laughs> thanks, Sonny. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Tyler. Jeez. Uh, so, yeah, so it was, I was scared actually going there because we were walking down this crazy long abandoned rail track and into these tunnels that were, had the most amazing graffiti all over them. Wow. And then all of a sudden we we're supposed to shimmy down behind this, boulder thing that you can't even see there's space behind it and then all of a sudden you're underground and it's just a labyrinth of like a spider web of all these things there's the german bunkers from world war ii mm. and Whoa. i mean there's all kinds of yeah no there's and there's places that would be marked by somebody who built that part of one wall and it's with their initial and then the year and i've got a photograph of one that was 1763 was when that was put up. It's amazing. Wow. And, and it was, yeah, it, to me, I just find that fascinating yeah. to be in that space. And so I really just, I had a, I had my iPhone with me and my, my street camera that wasn't as expensive as the other one that I had. So, and I was just shooting what I could kind of there and, and it was interesting stuff and I liked it a lot. And then I just coming home to, New York, I was like, well, what else is underneath New York besides subway? <laughs> rats. <laughs> Lots of rats. Yeah, and I was planning to just do my film at that point, but then I ended up visiting this place where I'm actually talking to you from, this, the um, Made in New York Media Center by IFP, which is a sort of film community that it's an, an, a nonprofit and it's an incubator. So. Hmm. I came here to think about getting a desk here to work outside of the home. And, and this girl said, Hey, well, you know, we've got this fellowship happening. Maybe you have a project that would be good for that. And then you get a year free here. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I do. I happen to have this kind of New York centric idea that I've been thinking about. And I got that. I got the fellowship and I was just like, what? That's so wild. Again, synchronicity. Yeah. I just didn't, I wasn't planning, you know, I, I did the, you had to get through the first, batch and then you have to pitch and I did the worst pitch of my life and I kind of nailed it at the end of it kind of showing them some photographs that I'd done and just saying look I just did a really lousy pitch but I know what I'm doing so this here's a book I've done here's the prints I've done this is what I'm going to (laughs) do and I walked out saying I had an intern at that time I walked back and said oh I'm so glad I didn't get this because it would be so much work (laughs) and you got it (laughs) <laughs> and then I got it and yeah so it's, but no I'm very happy with it it's it, it's really exciting because there's a lot going on with it I I've, I've been um working on getting uh sponsorships with people and 
I actually got a grant. I couldn't believe that, which was a whole other, it also came from Made in New York. My fellowship is from Made in New York, and so is the, so is the one grant. And then I have a fiscal sponsorship from the New York Foundation for the Arts. And, Amazing. Which makes me able to take donations and the person who donates gets a write-off tax deductible for most most things or and then also for if someone gives me gear that I need then they that's in kind donation and it's also a write-off so um I'm just kind of getting it together now with Mm -hmm. uh raising money and things like that so This, one, this one's long going too. I started thinking, oh, I can just do this for a year and it's all done. Then I remembered, oh, it took three and a half years to do a book. And this one, I'm planning to do books and film and this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you're going to be doing oh, everything. I'm not get it. Yeah, I'm not going to get it done in a year, darn. <laughs> so it's, yeah, but, but I'm a finisher, so I'm going to get it done. You'll do it. Is that the most challenging part of all of this for you is the fact that, you know, you're doing multimedia. So you have to a lot of different deliverables, if you will and a lot of different angles on on the project. Is that the most challenging part? Um, no, I'm good at that stuff because I've done a lot of that in my life and I and it's, it only requires what I need to do other than a sound person to do things when we're interviewing. Mm-hmm. Um, the first segment that I'm going to be doing, hopefully sooner than later, within the next month, I'm going to be interviewing the newsstand vendors from the subway that are on the platforms and things. Mm, love that. And nobody's done any of their stories and they have some stories because I've been talking to some of them and I'm like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, they're all basically all the ones I've spoken to so far are from Bangladesh. And huh. um, it's difficult. It's difficult because, you know, most people don't pay attention to them. And I think they're seeing everything because they're in those, you know, the little kiosk things that right. I'm sure if you've, you've been mm-hmm. there, you've seen them. Yeah. Uh, and, the, you know, to me, it's like this tiny little face and you're stuck there for the whole day and people don't buy magazines anymore. I don't even know how they're still there making a living on, you know, candy and, and water. Uh, <laughs> right. There's not, you know, and it's, uh, there used to be a lot of them and now there's a lot less. And two, mm-hmm. just shut down on a, on a very busy platform on the Upper West Side, I was really shocked about that. So I'm trying to find out what's going on with that. But so yeah, so I'm I want to I want to do photographs of them. So that's everything: photograph, uh, a documentary film, like five minute films, probably was what they'll end up to be. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do as many as I can. Minimum will be thirty people, and then so I do the portraits, and I also do the interview, and then we're working on doing a 360 inside the newsstand. So when you're watching, it'll mix together with the documentary film, but you'll be able to toggle it and see what it's like to be that person. You're going to be in their head. Oh, wild. What they see all day. Yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to find ways of using these kind of uh, mediums to, to do something that's really super story, storytelling mm-hmm. um, uh, and not to be, oh, isn't this cool? It's more about you know, what's the story here? And yeah. these guys, I'm sure, have a really good one. And I'm going to do that in all kinds of areas with it. So, yeah, I'll probably be doing this, you know, from the other side. When I, when I pass, mm. I'll probably still be doing this project. <laughs> I don't know. Now, when we spoke... That long. When we spoke offline, you said it's kind of a project that is your love letter to New York. What do you mean by that? Yes, well, because I, I just love New York. The energy here is is great. It, you know, it's, I love going back to LA though too because then I can go to the beach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Huntington Beach is one of my favorites, and my dog loves to run on the beach. 
I, but um, yeah, there's an energy here that you don't get in LA. No. I think it has to do yeah. with the fact that you're in the energy of other people's energies because everybody's not driving a car. Right. It's much more <laughs> like, congested. Like in LA, you're, you just see people driving by. You don't really engage. And exactly. I'm, inter- I'm interested in human beings. And I'd like to know who they are or what they do or what, what's it like to be in your body compared to mine and who are, who are you and who am I? Mm-hmm. And so I have no trouble speaking with people and I'm, I'm around people all the time because you can't go anywhere in New York without a person being within two feet of you, you know? Yeah. So, but that can be overwhelming at times too. You know, if there's just too much of that, right? you need to, you need to just chill unplug. out. Unplug, totally unplug. Yeah. Totally unplug everything, and now it's hard to unplug anything now because we're on computers. Mm-hmm. I know. That, that's a, that's a, it's a hard a, one, that's too. That's a challenge. That's the thing. Yeah. I'm, great, great tools. They're great tools, but I find myself, I'll be at 2 in the morning, and I'm going, what am I doing on my computer? <laughs> <laughs> Shut Why this thing this down. Open? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've done so much great stuff. You're in the middle of this this project under nyc.org. Everybody, if you want to check out the video that's there now, um, as well as all the information about the project. Do you have any final thoughts for the people out there listening, like to inspire them if they're creators and to inspire them to utilize more than one medium? Well, I, I can't go inside someone else's inspiration because it's theirs, but I can only say that I'm a person who likes to get things done and a lot of times I do procrastinate and I'm not perfect at all. And I, I'm constantly looking at myself going, why did I wait so long to do this particular thing? Or why didn't I get on this right away? I mean, it's hard to do this stuff. It's Mm -hmm. really, you know, you have to deal with people that aren't like you, you know, they're not getting it maybe, or, you know, there's so much red tape with this particular project. But for me, and I can only tell, I can't really say what would help them, but the way I look at things are if I've said it out loud, I have to do it. And it's about my self-esteem, I guess. Hmm. I, I don't, I don't want to be a quitter. And yeah. that's the worst thing for me to be able to do is to say, no, I can't do it. Or I, I, I quit. If I've said I'm going to do it, I don't take every job I get, but I definitely, you know, my project wise stuff. And then you've got to think about how you're going to monetize it. And that's, I'm just figuring that out now. So I've, I've really messed up on that end of it as far as, you know. I think a lot of artists do. I do. I know. But I, and I'm watching other ones that, that make all kinds of money and they're not as good or better or whatever. Maybe they yeah. are. But it's about marketing and how do you do that? And mm-hmm. it's really hard now because everything, there's so much out there and it's not, you know, you have to, when I do projects, the things that I do, I try to make them have marketing value. Yeah. Even if it's writing a film, like don't write a film that, you know, if you're writing a film and it's something about, you know, maybe how you grew up or whatever, find out ways that you can put things in there that would make it work better and make it more accessible to, to a wider audience. Mm-hmm. Consumable. You know, things like that. Yeah. So you have to kind of, and you have to be the business person in, and that, you know, it's, it's hard making movies. They're really hard to do. You know, I, lo- I learned a lot at Canon with marketing for movies and how you how you create something where you know you can sell it. Like you can add things to it that are authentic to it, and they're still not messing up with your art. And then you can actually get the film made. You know, instead of it failing and things like that, you have to yeah. be able to go outside your own love of what you're doing and look at it as a stranger. 
maybe mm. is the best way. It's like, you know, erase your mind and, and, and then look at your project as if you're someone else and why might they like it? I love that and, advice. And I had a great meeting with Sony recently mm-hmm. about this on the photography stuff. And they're actually uh, going to provide me with uh, the cameras that I'm going to use for this. The, the Amazing. For photographs, which does well in low light. And then also the A7, which I'm going to shoot the regular film video on. So they're, they're providing that for me. And I just want to thank Sony. <laughs> I, I think it's amazing. You know, don't be afraid to ask. Is all I think. That's another thing I can tell people. You know, the worst thing that's going to happen is if you ask for something, they're going to say no. Well, you're in the same spot. But they might say yeah. Right. Exactly. Don't be afraid to ask for some help or, or to, to even just borrow some equipment. Yes. No matter what it is or how big it is, you know, they might like it. Exactly. Well, I really enjoyed our conversation. I know that there's probably like billions and billions of stories that you can share about the rock and roll days, um, you know, more about the horses. I mean, there's all kinds of things. And so I would love to have you back again to talk some more. Um, Yeah, I love what you're doing. And I love your energy and and the way you approach things. You're, you just kind of flow with creativity and it's inspiring. So I appreciate you taking time to come on here and talk about your career with us thus far. Oh, well, thank you so much, Michelle. It's been fun to talk to you, too. Everybody out there listening, please go to her websites, CheshireCat.com and UnderNYC.org. Cheshire, thanks again. Thank you. Have a great topic you'd like to hear discussed on an upcoming episode of Nothing Off Limits? Email us at ideas at ladyfoxentertainment.com. In the meantime, please subscribe, rate the show, and go to ladyfoxentertainment.com to sign up for our email list and to check out our resources page. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time.